1: Welcome to this edition of Secrets to Win Big with Arjun Sen. This is Arjun, and it's a pleasure to welcome you again. Winning Big is incredibly important because winning is fun, but winning big puts you in the path to sustainable long-term wins. And in this podcast, you will hear from leaders from around the world in all walks of life come and sharing their secrets. Most of my guests are rock stars. These are rock star leaders who have an accomplished incredible amount and has a great portfolio of successes from which they share secrets to us. But today, it'll be kind of different. Today, I'm going to talk to, and I'm very fortunate to invite a very VIP guest And this person is only 14 years old. And in this 14 years, he has made a big impact in the sense that he got honorable mention at the Robotics Olympiad. He has traveled the world. Just like any other 14-year-old, of course, when he has free time, he loves to play sports, soccer, and swimming, plays the piano. But at the same time, this is my young man finds time to go and participate and make an impact in climate change protests, spreading the word, and individually contribute in nonprofit NGOs. I'm really excited to see how this rock star leader's life blossoms. And we are very fortunate to listen to my VIP guest today, Agni Sen. Agni, welcome.
0: Thank you. It's it's my pleasure to be here.
1: So Agni, I have to start with robotics. You getting a special mention that to You guys did not have a technical coach or full equipment. How did your interest start in this whole robotics journey?
0: Well, I think it started when I was very, very young. Like when when I was very young, I used to have a lot of fun playing with Lego. I used to build a lot of things out of Lego and Mindstorm. And I was especially interested in things that had motors and could move. So, and it, I think it all culminated when I went to Japan a few years ago and I saw this robot called Asimo, which was programmed to dance and sing along with the lullaby. And, you know, his fingers were moving and his shoulders were moving. And it's then I realized that this, this is the application of whatever I was doing. This is what the future is going to be like. And I think it's from that time that I got like very, very engrossed in programming, in doing robotics, Lego, all that kind of stuff. And it's only when I started doing it that I realized all the actions that we humans can do so easily, like just bending your finger or tilting your head is something that takes a lot of precision and like practice and trial and error to build up inside a robot. So that's wow.
1: That's magical and how you explained it i really love it that every small motion which is complicated when you combine becomes the overall activity so i get your passion and your interest what made you want to take participate in this olympiad and how did you prepare
0: um in in india specifically and in mumbai i feel like this olympiad is like a big thing for a lot of people of a young age and lots of children participate and they go for coaching classes. Um, They do a lot of training for like four, four, five, five months. They practice every day and perfect that stuff to compete. So, you know, we, we didn't have all of that when we actually realized that, you know, this is what's happening. We hadn't heard about it before. And we decided that, you know, whatever, let's just give it a shot. We'll do whatever we can. And what we when we started doing it, we were doing it from home. We we used to go to a friend's house. There were three of us, and every day we used to go to school together, come back together. All we were discussing is how to how to get this robot to move and how to make it do what we wanted to do. So I think it was a great experience, the whole journey. Like we used to go together, come together. We were literally staying at each other's house, and we kept practicing. We had started quite late, and um, like we. It's not that easy if you start quite late because there's a lot of technicality in the whole competition. So we had to read a lot about it online, watch videos of people doing it earlier. Like we spoke to a lot of ex-participants ex, uh, ex participants of the whole competition and, you know, we took help from some parents. They helped us print out stuff, um, you know, uh, get equipment, all of that stuff. But still, you know, we, we didn't have a technical coach. There was no one to guide us. It was us learning as we went along. And I think that's the beauty of the whole journey that we, that we took, you know? Because in the end, when we actually went for the competition, we didn't do so well. We, just, we, like, we had different milestones from the rest, I feel. Our robot did two things and we were super proud and we started celebrating. Everyone else's robot was doing everything and completing the whole problem, getting full points, and they were getting promoted to the national level competition. But we were still happy, I feel. I think that's the the main thing to the whole competition it's not like it's not the thing in the end it's the whole journey that you take
1: i love that as you said it's a big thing and it takes major preparation everybody else was going through coaching classes and you guys got the information late you started and the thing that struck me is you all together self-learned in this journey so, what did it feel like when you all were recognized at that moment? What did it feel like, Agni?
0: I think it was completely unexpected. I felt super happy because I I never thought of it. You know, all these people who were a big community. Like first, at first, I used to think that robotics was a small thing. But when I went there, there were so many like-minded group of kids my age who used to all love it, and. I was the youngest person that I was actually just like little before the cutoff. And I was, it was supposed to be 13 years of age. I was actually 12 because one of our teammates were 13. We were allowed to participate. So when we actually got that, I was so ecstatic because I felt that they noticed us. It was not just that, it was not only based on um, how well you performed. And I felt it, they noticed us and they on stage what they said was this is how the competition is supposed to be. And I felt that, you know, it's not just about the winning. Wow, from so, the notice-
1: perspective. It is not just about winning, but again, as I'm listening to you, I'm in major admiration for you because to me, again, I'm not taking away from any of the bigger wins from everybody else, but your team, what you accomplished is amazing. So, Agni, let's say in a year or two from now, if you have to go and help a bunch of 13 year olds, you know, junior Agnes and guide them, what would be a few things that you would tell them that would help them in their journey?
0: Um, I don't think I'm like completely qualified to, you know, teach someone or guide someone, but I tell them that, you know, have fun while you're doing it. That's the most important thing, you know, just. Do it and like enjoy doing it so that you can feel the whole thing and you don't miss out on the experience as such. That's, that's what I would tell them.
1: Wow. Do not miss out on the experience. Love that again. So now let's go to another part of the world. Your long Europe trip. Tell me a little bit more about the trip and what was the best part of the trip that stood out to you?
0: Um, um this this Europe trip that we took was like a long awaited trip. You see, my parents have been traveling for a long time before I was born, and you know, they've gone to all these places, and I keep asking them, you know, how come I've never gone and how come you've never taken me? So this was a trip that they had promised, and it was something that we 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 were planning to do after I had learned about European history. So in school we had I had just finished learning about the Greek and Roman mythology, about the Ottoman Empire, the Renaissance, the Dark Ages. So I I knew all of that history of the last like of Europe in the last millennium, and therefore I think that's why we decided to take the trip. However, you know, a few days before the trip, I I badly injured my hand, wow. and it was in a cast that was all from my tip of my fingers to my shoulders, and it was almost a two kg cast. It was quite heavy. But the first thing I did after I did, after I injured my hand was I told my mom. And made her promise that she would not cancel the trip. It was that big of a deal for me. Um, the thing I loved the most about the trip was all the museums and the art and all of that. Because you you know you've seen all these things in in like pictures or movies, and you know millions of people rush in and to like see these monuments because they're so famous, right? But I think when I actually went there, I didn't want to just do what a lot of other people were doing. Most people just walk in and take selfies, take a picture of themselves and you know, just walk out without even noticing. So I wanted to notice and take a step deeper because, you know, I feel it's, it's like traveling for me is not ticking boxes. I've seen that a lot of people just travel to tick boxes and say, okay, we have been to one, two, three places, but I just really wanted to feel it. And you know, when I saw all of those things, I felt like I was back in that time
1: outside let me ask a little bit more about the feeling because that's really intriguing because once you said this it really connected with me that most of us when we travel we right away want to take you know check boxes we go to Taj Mahal we try to put our hand as if it's on top of Taj Mahal we try to hold the Eiffel Tower it's like everybody has done this okay but tell me about more, little bit more about the feeling. Just give me an example of an incredible feeling that is so fresh to you from this trip.
0: Um, I think it, it was the time when we were in Greece and, you know, we, had, we were going to climb up to this. Um, it was like sort of a hill or a mountain where from where it says you can see the best sunset. And, you know, it was like dark and cold and my hand. It started hurting by the end of the day, you know? So then when we started climbing, we actually ran, 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 and finally reached just in time for sunset. And, you know, everyone, once the sunset got over, I think, you know, they just like looked around and left, but we just sat there. And I think I looked at the whole town and just saw that the ruins of what a great empire actually was. So that's, it just brought back feelings.
1: That's incredible. So how did you manage? Like you talked about the broken hand yeah. and how did it impact you during this trip? Like, first of all, you're okay right now. Everything's fine.
0: Yeah. Um, it, it impacted me a lot because for one, I mean, it was, it was painful and it, it, were, it, had, I was supposed to have the cast for six weeks. And there was this one incident that I remember so clearly, you know, the last destination of our trip was Turkey. We were staying in Istanbul for about three days, me and mom. And because dad, after he, when he came for the trip, he left after just a week. So majority of the trip was just me and mom. So when we were going to Istanbul at the end, we had gotten, we had like um, deboarded the flight. And there was one line of, of, you know, a check-in counter that said, um, to the city, towards the city limits, and there's one that said international transfers. And there was this one moment when I thought, you know, I really would not mind just going back home. I was so tired and my hand was so hurt. And, you know, the doctor had promised that the moment you get back from the holiday, he'll cut my cast open. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even, I'm 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 actually very glad we went to Istanbul, but even when we actually got back eventually, my school was opening in two days, you know. And I could have just waited and said, oh, my God, look, I got fractured. But I was in so much, like, it was just very a very bad feeling. So I just wanted to get it out. Mm-hmm. And the thing was, you know, it's it was heavy. So after every day of walking and all of that, it got used to get very tired and my shoulders used to hurt. So my parents used to help me carry the cast.
1: Wow.
0: And But, but I also think a, a plus side was that a lot more people remembered me. You know, mm-hmm. if there was like a restaurant we went to like twice in the... When I stay for dinner every like two consecutive nights, the people would remember me saying, "Oh, you're the guy with the cast." You know, mm-hmm. so I thought that was extremely fun. The
1: guy with the cast—that's cool. And you know, it's, I love I love your energy because even though you were in so much pain and two cages, which is nearly five pounds, you talked all about feelings. And how every feeling gave you goosebumps, and only when I pushed you, you talked a little bit about your pain. You know that was a big lesson to me. So here's a maybe silly question. Okay, last trip Istanbul when you're coming back from there, looking out of the in you know, a plane window. Of course, all the feelings, all the memories are going through your mind. What was one or two things that you said? You know what? I really wish I didn't leave this behind. Like, what is it that you felt like you really didn't want to leave behind? What was a few, what were a few things?
0: I think one and the, the most was actually the food. I, oh. I'm a foodie. I love eating. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, you know, Italian cuisine and Greek cuisine and like Turkish cuisine is big around the world, but it's never the same when you actually eat it there. And that was what I was going to miss the most. I knew that food anywhere else ever again. So you know, it was a feeling that really sunk.
1: Wow. Yeah. Great. So now let's talk about music. Music has been a big part of your life. You play the piano. So. What got you into music and especially when you are playing piano and I saw some cool videos of yours, what feelings do you go through during those moments?
0: Um, Like, I think I got inspired by music because of my parents. I remember this one incident when I came home singing some um, arbitrary Hindi song that I had heard in the school bus and my daddy freaked out and he that's the time I was about four years old when he introduced me to the kind of music he likes and my parents like which is you know all like Dylan, Beatles, stuff like that. I think that's where my real inspiration to like learn music came from. Um, I had also begun playing the piano a little earlier mm-hmm. and um, in school music is a big thing because we learn through music, we sing, we play a recorder. So I think all of that combined actually got me really loving music. And it's because um, my dad, he printed out a lyrics book of all songs and their lyrics. And that was my favorite book. I used to sing those songs. I used to play them on the piano. And just as I was starting to read when I was five or six years old, it was when I was starting to read the lyrics too. So it was a very early thing.
1: So you and that started reading and reading lyrics, both nearly at the same time. Yes. So, tell me a little more about what you feel when you are totally immersed into piano. Like what, where is that me? Um,
0: I don't think I ever get lost in the music. It's more that music helps me find myself. Um, I think the music is actually something I really connect with. It's something that talks about the deeper me and therefore when i'm playing music when i'm singing playing the piano it just it's helped music has helped me find so many great people like a lot of friends a lot of like famous people so i think uh, music is more a guide than something that you can get lost in for me
1: well said learn something right there so talked about school And of course, you being 14 years old, I have to ask about school. So tell me a little bit about your school, the uniqueness, and you know what you learn as a student that really inspires you.
0: Um, my school is like an alternate school. It's not like most schools, you know, a lot of other schools in the country and the city based a lot of stuff on classroom learning. My school is exactly the opposite. We don't learn, um, you know, subjects or writing or reading until a very late stage. Um, our learning is mostly through stories, mythology, singing, playing games. So it's, it's a lot of, you know, being more well-rounded than having a lot of deep knowledge. Mm -hmm. so it's it's more about you know uh, knowing the stuff and being engaged than knowing the facts and for example you know in the third grade we have a farming trip where we go and plant rice and um to a a farm and we stay there for many days and we uh, uh, we come back we know how the farmers live and then six months later we go and harvest that rice and then you know when we bring we bring it back after harvesting it we mill it thresh it bring it back and then we actually cook it and there we've seen the whole process you know from grassroots grassroots level till consumption and i think that really gives you a better perspective and our school really thinks that teaching us for the future and i think that's really great because before sixth grade we already learned how to grow your own food how to build your own houses we have a whole house building um, like block and how to stitch your own clothes how to like you know be responsible for yourself and i think it my school is not really but teaching kids to become like smart, but more to become responsible. So that's what I really like.
1: So two follow-up questions. One is, let me ask the meaningful question first. What's the difference between smart and being responsible? Um,
0: I feel being smart is being, you know, having a. Look- lot of knowledge mm-hmm. and, you know, knowing a lot of stuff, but I feel responsible is being, you know, knowing the stuff as, as well as knowing where to use it, as well as knowing the applications, as well as knowing what it can do in the real world. That's what I feel. Wow. Love that. And I think that school really helped us find that because we've never been allowed to use technology in school mm. until say 7th, 8th or 8th grade. So, you know, you can't take printouts, you can't trace anything, no... Gadgets, So that really helps you bring out that other qualities. Mm
1: -hmm. So this one I have to ask is you talked about going through the whole process of growing, milling, and then getting that rice back home. So how did that rice, tasting that rice feel different than any other rice you tasted ever before?
0: think it actually was different I just think that in my mind it felt that Mm -hmm. oh wow it's my rice you know I have grown this these seeds were planted by me and my class so Mm -hmm. I think I just felt extremely you know powerful and I felt that wow I did this it was a lot of you know pride in the rice I just felt
1: love that so now go to a an area which is very passionate to you about climate change. And you have taken part in you know, some of the protests and especially when Greta's Friday for Future happened, protest was there in Mumbai, you inspired people there. So what got you excited, passionate to be out there?
0: Um, I think from a young age, both at home as well in school, we've been very conscious of our carbon footprint and we have always been led and taught to appreciate the sustainable options. And I think therefore I've also become conscious over time of, you know, what I'm doing, like no taking printouts, not using extra paper, like always recycling, reducing the amount of plastic, no plastic at all. So I think all of those things as well as a few years ago we went to africa kenya and tanzania actually and you know we saw you know the picturesque scenes of you know animals here and there uh, giraffes zebras so I, I then realized that you know it's not our world we're just one of the people who live here it's actually their world the animals the plants the fish the birds you know they they are as much owners of it as we are so i think with all you know pollution and like dumping of garbage and all of that, they are getting affected the most. So I think that's what really got me thinking. And as well as, you know, Greta Thunberg being just like a few years older than I was then, um, I really felt that, you know, if someone like that can mobilize the whole world, at least I can stand in solidarity, you know? So therefore, you know, with me and with a bunch of like-minded friends, we all went for the protest.
1: And that, I think, leads me to the next question is, if you could, in your mind, design or develop, create your own protest or show of solidarity, you know, the word that he used, what would that be?
0: Um, I think it would be to stop single-use plastic completely. Because, you know, that's one of the worst causes and one of the quickest causes of, you know, so oh, flora and fauna dying of, you know, pollution of lots of, it, it leads to a lot of other um, problems with the earth. So I think that that would be my protest. It would be to like stop manufacturing or to re- at least reduce manufacturing by a lot. And to, you know, to like, like educate the people that, I mean, I think most people are educated about it. Like now mo- a lot of people are aware that plastic is bad, but they still don't do anything about it. Right. You need to, make them do something. So I think that would be the protest.
1: And I think you just gave me an example of what's the difference between smart and responsible is as you talked about this. So let me take it a little broader, okay? So if you had the platform to share a message to the whole world, especially you know, people older than you, on climate change, what would be your message for
0: I think it would be that, um, the world has changed so much over these last 300 years, so much more than it's changed, you know, for like such a long time and we are responsible for it. So I think my message would be that, um, don't like always be careful and be responsible because we are the ones who are going to inherit this world, you know? Um, i know this sounds bad but you know most adults are going to be like not that responsible or not that they're going to be gone in a law in like very recent times you know so it's it's going to be us the youngsters the, this generation that's going to inherit it so i think we don't shouldn't do anything that we can't repair
1: you should not inherit something that you can't repair wow that's a very powerful statement and i really feel amazed and feel good to hear about a young man being so passionate and having this kind of clarity and ownership of the planet. Like it just makes me feel great to hear that. So something related is, you know, you're very articulate and you explain and express in different ways. And Your poetry, which was published in your school, The Vulture, I really liked it. Would you mind reading a few lines from that poetry and tell me what your inner thoughts were when you wrote that?
0: Sure. So it goes. I'll just read a few lines. Yeah, thank you. Such infamous claws and eyes, its wide wings glide and spread, in the great deep and far sky, a sudden panic, a great dread. They fly with the darkness, with wings silent like death. You never see them coming, but they watch your every breath. I think you know why I say the vulture fills this world with gray.
1: Wow. So what's your inner th- feeling when you wrote this? And when you talk about world so grey? what are you referring to?
0: Um, I think it was something to do with the fact that a few years ago, you know, like children are always told that, you know, there's good and bad, black and white. And I think this was a time when I was actually realizing that life had many more shades of gray. Not everything is so stark. Most things are two sides of the same coin. So I think that's the time that I felt that, you know, you can't just say that something is like right or wrong or good or bad. And there's a lot of in-betweens. And I think it's the in that actually make the balance for this world. So I think that's what inspired me to write about this because I think vultures are creatures that, you know, they're very, like, no one talks about them that much. And, you know, they're the silent part of the food chain as well. So I think that's just what inspired me. And the world so grey is just, you know, I, I was, I was feeling that, you know, something was wrong with the world and, um, it was all about, uh, like, I'm not actually sure why I wrote "Worlds so gray. It's just, it
1: just came. But I really like what you described that most things in this planet or issues are not black and white, they're different shades of gray, which means that opens the opportunity for two people to acknowledge that there are different points of view and perspectives and start conversing. Are there any other poetry you want to read a few lines from?
0: Uh, Yes, actually, you know, I I express myself through poetry much better than I do through words. So I I really like writing poems. So this is another poem that I can read to you. And it's one I wrote about just something I was feeling about the world. So it goes. Thank you. Defiance comes from oppression. Love comes from hatred. Life comes from death. Beliefs come from lies. Death, starvation, and fear very often will come near. Someone, somewhere, will always lose. Resistance has many hues. Restlessness is the clue. Rebellion, protests war. Abolished systems now anew. Effects of colonization can still be seen. Immortality is no longer a dream. The world is not what it seems.
1: So that day, as you said, you, ex- you love to express through poetry. What was going through your mind? What was the feeling that you were trying to express that day?
0: I think it, had, it, it, it took place in uh, just after we had just, we had finished learning about revolutions and wars and stuff like that in school. So I think it was getting me thinking about how futile things actually are and how, you know, when you try something new, it doesn't always turn out the way you expect. And, you know, it was just leading me to think that not everything looks what is, like, doesn't, everything is not what it seems. So it was just thinking about those kind of feelings. It led me to write this poem.
1: So these are amazing, deep emotions. Could we extend this by saying, let's say for sometime, one day, I don't know, a few hours. If you had all the powers, what would be one thing or two things you would love to change in this planet?
0: Okay, <laughs> that that's a question. Like, lots of people are asked, and I think you know, lots of people give like cliche answers, and I I don't think mine would be that different. But what I actually have like to change is that you know, just make everybody like equal. You know? Don't don't like change, don't like discriminate against human beings because you know you're all human beings. You're all the same. You know, it's it, there's not that much different based on race, religion, color, creed. So I think it just, equality is what i want.
1: I love that. And I also would connect it to what you just explained a few minutes back, is we should not also discriminate what you just taught me a few seconds back about how we feel. Because the whole thing that not any, everything is black or white, which again means that different people have different points of view. And that's another area in a world which is somewhat divided right now, we should not define or discriminate against people based on how they think. But as you said, make it equal. And it's amazing. So Agni, where is Agni going? Where would I, like, five years from now, ten years from now, what would, you know, what's your dream? Where are you going in life?
0: I don't know. I'm just not sure. I mean, I have a lot of dreams and There's a lot of things that I want to do. There's a lot of changes that I want to make, but I'm just not sure as of now that which ones would be or what, what my priorities are. Mm -hmm. So I'm still figuring all of that out.
1: Okay, That's very fair. And I love that openness that is there. So one of the things I like to ask every high functioning person and listening to you over the last half an hour, you know, makes me realize you are one of the highest performing persons. So I just want to, I feel that all these people have a routine. So I always try to ask them, what's the first thing you do when you wake up? And what's the last thing you do before, you know, you wind your day down and you're retiring into family life? So what's the first thing you do? And what's the last thing you do on a given day? Um, I think the first
0: thing I do every day is somehow crawl out of bed every early in the morning and I walk into my living room and um, I tell my mom that I love her. Wow. And um, I think the last thing I do is, you know, I just think that, you know, has today been a productive day? Did I achieve anything today? You know, what did I have fun today? And, you know, with if I, if the answers are yes or no, I just think about that and then, Go to bed hoping the next day will be better.
1: That's all wow. Agni, this is absolutely fascinating. So my VIP guest Agni Sen today taught me quite a few things. First, he taught me it's not about just winning. You know, I have heard people say that, but what Agni showed me was the learning they took together in their journey was priceless. He also taught me the difference between being smart and being responsible. Especially in today's world where knowledge is easily available, if you know what to search for because everything is there. Being responsible as Agni Sen taught me was about, being able to apply it properly at the right time because only then the knowledge is useful. I also, myself, felt kind of silly when I asked him that question. What do you feel when you get lost in music? Because what I learned is music or passion like this is not about something where people get lost, but that helps them find themselves, and that finding themselves can happen at different places and different times. And the biggest thing that I'm taking is the passion that each one of us should have to own this planet, and it is our world, and our world means a few things we need to take responsibility we really must make sure that we do not give it to the next generation and as i quote agni that we don't they don't inherit a world which cannot be repaired and finally we look at each other and actually feel and treat them as equals incredible amount of lessons incredible amount of secrets and wisdom again agni Thank you. I wish you the very best. And I'm looking forward to doing the same interview, asking some of the same questions five years from now. Thank you. And talk to you again. Thank you again. Yes. Thank you.
0: You've been listening to Secrets to Win Big with Arjun Sen, founder and CEO of Zen Mango, brand whisperer, top brand growth driver and a former Fortune 500 executive who has been called one of the most marketing intelligent minds in the business. To learn more, visit www.zenmango.com. Share this podcast with your friends and subscribe wherever you like to listen to podcasts.
1: This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.